I was a kid that came up an only child, watched mom work and struggle. We're in the middle of a mental health epidemic in this country that I personally believe is driven by the vacuum of national values. Don't let anybody hold you back. Amen. Just do it. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek Ramaswamy, Republican running for president. We should not be apologetic to stand up and speak for the truth. Let's talk truth. I'm here in our home base in Columbus with somebody I've been really looking forward to talking to. NBA star turned activist and freedom fighter, Royce White. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. First of all, you're you're big guy from NBA. How tall are you? You said six eight. Six eight. Yes. That's good. Is that, that chair comfortable for it's, you? It's great. I yeah, got this one. This is size uh, for for you know six yeah. foot tall people, but <laughs> I got I got one in my podcast studio. So okay, they're okay, great. Good. They're good. great. Good to yeah. talk to you. So thanks. I'm excited about your story. Some people are, are familiar with it, but yeah. I thought we'd dial at least a couple minutes, even to your pre NBA days, and then we'll yes. spend a lot of time in your experience of how you got drafted and what came after that. But tell me a bit about your upbringing and what led you in the path that ultimately got you to the dream of many kids in this country joining the NBA. Well, I think it's, you know, my childhood and upbringing is a very important part of my my story and and Mm -hmm. helps people understand the uniqueness of my position now to be able to speak on the things that I speak about. Yep. Politically, culturally, societally, right? Yep. Um, I, I, I feel you there. I was a single. I was a, uh, an only child to a single mother, working class single mother. She was an esthetician. Um, she did makeup, eyebrows, wax. Um, I come from a family of women that were in the beauty care industry, right? So you're talking about a lot of women who are in a cash business and and they pay bills with their tips. Often have to make ends meet, live check to check. My mom paid rent with her tips, mm. right? And uh, to see your mother. Did you ever meet your father? Uh, my father wasn't really in my life until I was 13 years old. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And so that's it, your biological father. Biological father. Okay. Yeah. But but I was fortunate, although I was an only child. I I uh, I'm a part. I was a part of an extended family that had multi generational roots across the Twin Cities area, and the Twin Cities is, is a unique metropolitan area. If you know anything about the Twin Cities, demographically or, or geographically. Um, Minneapolis, which is the biggest city in our yep. in our state, is only a four hundred thousand person population, mm-hmm. right? So it's not even it's not t- giant. It's not giant, but the metropolitan area is fifteenth in the country. Mm-hmm. So we have suburbs that go on and on in neighborhoods and small cities. And I was fortunate enough, because of my extended family, to grow up in neighborhoods all across that that yep. place, which gave me a a, a lot of cultural diversity uh, in my perspective on on a number of things. Um, so, you know, I was, I was a kid that came up an only child, watched mom work and struggle to make ends meet. Um, but I had a, I had a, an, an incredible group or community of men, um, that also helped guide me, hmm. uh, through my journey in becoming a sportsman, but also a young man in general. What did you think you were going to do when you were in junior high school? NBA was always on your mind? Uh, No. Not at no, all. I was a late bloomer uh, basketball wise. I, I wasn't the best player on my team until I got to about the eighth grade. Okay. And, and then in the ninth grade, I really took off. Um, so you didn't do the whole AAU circuit? No, all I that did stuff. it. Okay, I did but it. Late. Okay. No, I, and I did it as a young, younger you kid. You weren't. I wasn't the cream of the, the crop. No, okay. my, my success came from hard work, dedication, and, and getting with the right coaches who, who helped me understand the importance of, of, of practice, mm-hmm. right? And so I was a guy who, um, w- once I 
started to really get the ball rolling athletically, I prided myself on my body, being in shape. I used to do a lot of uh, core conditioning work on my own, push-ups, sit-ups at home mm -hmm. at night, toe raisers, we call them, uh, wall squats, things to help me be Driven strong Driven by physically. yourself? By myself. Not yeah. somebody, no, no nobody trainer had to tell driving me. you, Nobody like needed okay. to tell me. Uh, I had a chip on my shoulder. I wanted to succeed. And once I realized I had the potential, once yeah. I was given the, the uh, encouragement, you could say, from yep. somebody who I respected that said to me, you could actually do this if mm -hmm. you do A, B, C. I was self-motivated then. Yeah. Uh, before that, I was just a regular kid with, with family and, and was enjoying being a kid, you know. Hmm. Yeah. So then you get to high school, then you bloomed a little bit. High school. Found it took, yourself. It okay. took, I mean, it took off. Okay. I mean, in, in the ninth grade, I was, I was a top 25 player in the country at, in, yeah. my, in my class. Good so for you. It took off quick. Um, what did that do for your self-confidence? Well, you know, it, it, Which it, one it was came a gift first? and a curse. Yeah, it was a gift and a curse, right? I mean, in one sense, you're getting uh, notoriety from a, na a national basketball community, yep, uh, and and basketball coaches, colleges who are recruiting people who you've grown up watching on television, coach and high level uh, at the age of fifteen. Yeah, coming at you. Yep, at the age of fifteen, uh, so you're getting to see Tom Izzo's meet these people. Mm -hmm. So it it did, it was a uh, it was exciting, but it was also anxiety inspiring. Right. Because now, you know, the, the, the micro, you know, the magnifying glass is on you to perform mm -hmm. and then your own expectations to perform. And, and am I good enough? But also, will I be good enough at the right moment to succeed? Mm. So a bit mm. of both. And, and we'll come back to that theme later on. Yeah. But even early in your life, do you think that that early exposure to being in that spotlight played a role in creating that? anxiety that stayed with you later in life well anxiety is an interesting thing the yeah. human the human mind is an interesting thing the human psychology is, is a very interesting thing it's hard to say did the chicken come before the egg I yeah don't, i don't it's know it's hard to know right it's hard to know you know it's one of the places where exploration and and, and research will still pay dividends for for humanity um but i can say i remember early early struggles with anxiety well before the spotlight was ever on me Mm. had to do with my own internal thinking, the way that mm -hmm. I looked at the world and, and feeling that something wasn't right or that danger is ever present, which it was in the communities mm -hmm. I came from. I yeah, mean, but it all starts from somewhere. But it all starts from somewhere. Yeah. And, and so that, that's, a, that's, you know, hard to, hard to, to pinpoint. But I will say this, um, by the time I was 16, I had my first full-blown panic attack, which came from smoking mm -hmm. marijuana. Hmm. Um, for my for the first time, it was when you smoked for the first time yes. that you had your panic attack. Yes, oh, wow. I was fortunate. I was fortunate that in my household, my mother was adamant about not letting people in the household that did any form of drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. She was not a drug or alcohol user herself, and she kept that out of the house. So it wasn't until I was a little bit older and had the chance to move around on my own more that I encountered the opportunity even to smoke marijuana. And uh, when I did it for the first time, I had a full-blown massive panic attack. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think it was in any way the loss of control? I mean, in the sense that your, your experience of going through an intoxication or a high, do you think yeah. that's... Because you just described yourself as somebody who's been in control of your body. You yeah. brought that up. Yeah, definitely. No trainer, nobody else driving you. Do you think, do you think that might have been an element of it, or do you think it's something else? Yeah, yeah, that, that was part of it. Yeah. Um, I, I was somebody who had an acute awareness of society as a whole, very young. I was, I was um, 
fortunate enough to have my mother uh, impress upon me the importance of reading. So I was very well read, read mm -hmm. across a number of things, not just you know, fiction, Harry Potter and, and, and whatnot, which was our era, yeah. right? Not just uh, when they get what they give you in school. Not either. what they give me in school, but I, I was I was uh, in in the know about societal things. And one of the things that, that kind of was a thorn in my side was I realized that me and my mother didn't have good health care. Mm -hmm. Or at least in my mind then, I thought that was a big deal at yeah. 16. That's a, that is and, and so a when you get deal. your first panic attack, well, 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 we can discuss if it's a big deal. Yeah. But when you get your first panic attack and it feels like you're having what many would describe as a heart attack, yeah. and you know you haven't necessarily had all the proper checkups, your mm -hmm. mind goes to, the dark. Okay. is this it? Possibility. Right? Right, right, and, right? And not only that, I had had um, a childhood friend who fainted in a fourth grade AAU basketball practice. Really? Yeah, and he fainted because um, all of us thought he had asthma. They, they labeled it activity-induced asthma. But really, he had an artery that was being restricted by two valves um, that was causing mm -hmm. him to not be able to have the proper uh, flow of oxygen-rich uh, blood. And, and so it was effectively asthma of a sort, but it was from a birth defect, not Yeah, not normal asthma. Activity-induced, really. Right, and so he almost died. Yeah. At eight years old, they had to cut his so chest that struck open. you. Yep. So, you know, 16, you have your first panic attack. You're like, should I had smoked weed? Was there something in it? Am I going to die? Mm -hmm. um, and after that, I would I would have uh, panic attacks for about four months straight, three times a day. And mm -hmm. so for anybody who's ever had panic attacks, it's kind of laughable to those who don't really deal with it because they don't understand how physical it is. But I tell people I've looked death in the face thousands of times because mm -hmm. it actually feels like you're dying. In fact, it's it's so much simulates dying mm -hmm. that if you go to the ER with classic panic symptoms, they have to do a variety of tests to rule out that you're having a cardiac event, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. speaks to how magnificent the, the human body is, right, in the mind. It is interesting. I mean, do you think you've taken something away from those experiences that's positive? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Number one, it's not always as bad as you think. It's not always as good as you think, right, to, mm -hmm. to stay try and stay even in, mm -hmm. in situations of crisis. Um, so I've, I've somewhat perfected that mm -hmm. uh, to keep, to, to, you know, hone that emotional yeah. evenness in, in times that seem uh, critical to mm -hmm. many others. Um, so that, that's one thing for sure. And so you, when did you get drafted out to the NBA? Was it 2009, uh, 2012, I'm sorry. Two years in, in college or? Um, I spent one year at the University of Minnesota and then I had to sit a year at Iowa State. That was back right. when you couldn't transfer. For yeah, your yeah, penalty. Red shirt. Yeah. Year, well, now, that, well, now you can call? transfer once okay. without any penalty and play right away. Okay, Back okay. then, you had to sit. Unless okay. you got a waiver from the NCAA, which they denied me. Okay. Uh, why, why did you transfer, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I, tra I was at the University of Minnesota and ran into a little bit of trouble. Some cultural community issues there at the University of Minnesota. Yeah. Interesting things. Long story short, uh, I come from the neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. I come from the black neighborhood. And, you know, I... I don't want to say anything that seems culturally. Uh, uh, you can say anything you want. Misleading. Well, no, I'm just okay. careful because you know, I come from a real neighborhood. Okay. Where much of what black people who have a chance to talk on a platform like this would have real criticism about, right? Okay. The crime. Let's just say it. The crime. Okay. The black on black crime. I come from a place where black on black crime is serious. It's a okay. real thing. It, it it's horrifying. It's sad. Um, but because I come from that place and because I was at the University of Minnesota, which was already then predominantly liberal, yep. um, they didn't like that my childhood friends 
from the neighborhoods they claim they're trying to protect followed me and hung out on campus with me, hmm. which is very interesting. That is fascinating. Oh, yeah. It's a little bit of it's why hypocrisy, I'm, might, yeah, might oh, It's a it. lot of hypocrisy. <laughs> it's why I'm running for Senate in Minnesota, because okay. I, I, I saw it first. I've seen the liberal hypocrisy up close. That's an interesting... So you felt like because your childhood friends were showing up on campus because you were going to college close to where yeah. you grew up, and you were also something of a star by then, I suppose, on the basketball Does team star. and otherwise, right? Yeah. But they would hang out there that that... Yeah. was somehow unwelcome. Completely unwelcome. Why do you think that was? Well, it's very simple. I mean, black men are um, accepted by liberals if they can be the symbol of, of, of um, white liberal um, resent and vendetta against white men or mm-hmm. Americanism or Christianity or any number of things. If, if black... And, and, and within, it's an instrument that you can It's use. an instrument, yep. yeah. And within that... We, we like black people. We want to protect black people. We want to include black people. Mm-hmm. But only if you made it through the uh, application process of our university. Only mm-hmm. if you have a student ID. Yeah. It's funny that they don't want us to have voter ID, but in order for black people to come hang out on campus, you would need a student, student ID. Fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's, these are things I saw so close. So it put you off and you're like, I'm getting the heck out of here. Yeah, so I got in a little bit of trouble that, that was involved with that. And, um, like, like what? Uh, so, for example... I was at the Mall of America, it was famous, yeah. Minnesota Mall of America, and me and my friends were playing a prank. It wasn't really a prank, it was more of a on the spur of the moment, spontaneous, uh, snatch and run kind of thing. You know, okay. that was, we came up in the jackass era. Right? Okay, <laughs> all right, a, so you're like so it, around. It's not fooling. what it was today where yeah. guys are going into a store, yeah. and I'm gonna take a thousand dollar bag and then go get cash for it. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that kind of thing back then, it was more genuine prankster stuff. Yeah. And so that, that situation happened. I ended up getting in a little bit of trouble with that. Uh, and then like a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, there was a huge party on campus at the freshman dorm. We had like a, a freshman dorm neighborhood where there were seven, seven story freshman dorms all in one little area. And a young girl had her laptop stolen. They came to ask this young woman, were there anybody here that you know doesn't live here or doesn't live on your floor? And because I had been in the air that night, I'm highly visible, obviously. I'm 6'8", and I got seven black kids with me, right? <laughs> okay. She said, oh, well, you know, Royce and his friends were here. Huh. And she never said that she thought I took it. In fact, her laptop was returned on the following Monday. This was a weekend party on a Saturday. Uh-huh. And her laptop had been returned to her already. Well, the University of Minnesota Police Department thought it fair and wise to accuse me of doing it anyway or having something to do with it. Hmm. Uh, and then they drugged this case out while they investigated me being a possible suspect. Okay. Possible suspect. Yeah, over, now, over a long period of time? Over three months. Okay. While the season basically finished. Oh, so you didn't get to play? So the, Yes. You didn't get to play? I didn't that. get to play. Oh. Okay. They held the investigation okay. open until the season concluded, and our AD made the statement that I could not play until this was resolved publicly. So they knew that if they kept it open, I yeah. would. And at the end, they came back and they charged me with trespassing at a dorm I lived in. Yeah. Yeah. And also a high crime of trespassing itself in another campus dorm, let alone it be the one you actually lived in. Let alone it be the one you lived yeah. in. Yeah. So these it, it felt a little bit dishonest it, and alienating. It was very dishonest. And so, so, so you decided, I'm you out. made the decision, you're out. Yeah. Went to Iowa State, filed for a petition to be able to play right away. Didn't get that granted. So I had to sit an entire year and watch my, my teammates play without me. And then the next year I played at Iowa State and I was the only player in the country to lead my team in all five major statistical categories and and we so the year off didn't hurt your skills no it was great for me good 
you practiced. I got, you, I got to see all the teams I was going to play against. Oh, amazing! Yeah, I got to I got all to right. scout all the teams I was. Did you like being against. a cyclone? It was great. Yeah, it was great. Nothing like nothing like. It Ames. seems like the spirit there is pretty pretty high. Hilt Magic. Yeah, Hilt even Magic. even better than uh, Minnesota, if I had to guess. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, yeah, it's different. I haven't been to the University of Minnesota, but I have been to well, Iowa State. It's diff- and, It's yeah. a different dynamic, right? Yeah, because Minnesota has five professional sports teams. Yeah, Iowa has zero. None. Yep. So to them, their college towns are professional sports. Totally. And they treat it that way. Yeah. And we A's, get a little bit of that here. Yeah. yeah. In Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. We, yeah. So. But anyway, so that was good. So then you get drafted after one year or two years? First year I played. First year you play, and then you just get straight up drafted yeah. by the Rockets, was it? Yes. So tell me about that. What that experience was like. Well, let's go back. First, I have to, to, to explain that during my time at Iowa State, in the year that I played, we were not expected to finish high. We were not necessarily expected to have great success. Fred Hoiberg was our coach. This was his second year. I was a part of his first class that he recruited himself. He came in, he had somebody else's players. Now I was a part of the first group of players he had himself recruited. Okay. But yet still nobody in the Big 12, the other coaches, you know, they polled before the season. We were picked to finish in the bottom three of the Big 12. Okay. Now these are the coaches who recruited me. So I took it personal, and I played with a chip on my shoulder, and we ended up finishing third in the Big 12. That helps you. <laughs> they did you a favor. It does. And yeah. so along the way, you know, the media is heavily, uh, let's say, they, they, they place a lot of, um, they place a lot on what the coaches predict. Right. So now as we start to have success, the media is like, oh, this is a Cinderella story. That's right. Right. So it played in our favor. Absolutely. Okay. So while that's happening, I'm getting interviewed one day uh, in Ames before a game and it's just a regular, you know, ESPN. We're covering the Cyclone success. And I let slip that I was dealing with anxiety. Totally by accident, you know, because the guy was asking me what my pregame ritual was. And I said, you know, this is what I do. Boo, boo, boo. I wake up, I go and watch the last game and try and reference things that I'd want to do better. And I go and watch a little bit of this team so I can scout them and okay, see what they're doing. And, and he goes, well, what about, do you eat? What, what kind of things do you like to eat? And I go, I don't eat before games, I, you know, because of my anxiety. And he was like, wait, wait, wait a second. What, what did you say there? And in that moment, I realized. Who, whose report, which... Uh, this was ESPN. ESPN. It was ESPN. Yeah, it was ESPN. And so, but at that moment, when I said anxiety and I caught his reaction, I realized that I had that the anxiety thing from, tripped it. Yep, tripped the wire. And so, it became one of the biggest and most covered stories of that college basketball season because no players had really talked about mm. struggling with anxiety. It's not it, one of the things you're supposed to talk about. Hush, huge hush, stigma. Sweep under the huge rug. Huge stigma right. around it still. Right. So by the time I had got to the draft. There were huge questions now with the GMs of the NBA. Unbelievable. Where I would be drafted because the NBA had never had to draft Deal a player. Deal with that, with who, anxiety. Yes, okay. right. So yeah. this is the narrative. So It's, it's and, amazing. I mean, the parallels to politics, I will tell you, if you're entering politics now, this is great training for you. It was. Yeah. For a time such as this, world, right? Period. Right? Your time in the corporate world as well. Right? Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah, yeah. Prepares we, us. We understand. Yeah, right, I, get right. what, I get what that's like. Yeah. So. So then that happens between the time you're entering the draft. So then it's kind of so, in the bloodstream. That's so, the narrative. So, so I get drafted, and the consensus on me is... By the Rockets. The consensus on me going into the draft is I'm one of the five most NBA-ready players in the draft. Yeah. Right. So, And I just come off of playing an NCAA game against Anthony Davis, who had three other projected first lottery picks on his team. And I dominated that game. I mean, people can go back and watch it oh, on wow. YouTube. Still, I had like 25. So it's like an automatic should-be first-round pick. 
Well, yeah, but like but standard. even close to the yeah. Cl- I mean, top. like, but, but I'm just saying, yeah. I'm just saying, like, table stakes would be first round pick. No doubt. Yeah. So I'm sitting there on draft night. First off, I go through this draft process, and everywhere I go in the draft process, we go to these cities and we have these individual workouts where, you know, you go against a set of like other three or four of the guys that they're comparing you to in the draft. So I'm going city to city, and they're pulling me in the back to do my individual interviews, and all they want to ask me about is anxiety, which I'm welcome, open, but I'm like, hey, I'm 21 years old. I'm sure you guys have doctors or something that could give you much better information than even I could. Because they were asking general questions about anxiety, not really about my anxiety specifically. Yep. And there were even things that I really didn't feel equipped to tell them, right? Mm. Like to predict into the future. Yeah, like one of them enough. is, well, what if you have a panic attack before a game? I don't know what to tell yeah, you. I mean, like, I don't know if I break my, if I <laughs> right. break my right. ankle in practice too. That happens too, right? I have no yeah. answer for you for yeah. that. So, but so... By the time the draft comes, this is a huge story. I end up getting drafted 16th in, in, in a draft where many people thought I should have been a top three pick. Mm-hmm. So the anxiety had already affected my draft position. So you get drafted 16th. Get drafted 16th. I get to Houston. 16th um, in the first round. Though. In the first round, yeah. yes. Um, I get to Houston, and I was advised by my— Who was the GM of the Rockets at the time? Daryl Morey. Was it Daryl Morey? Yes, okay. it was. All right, interesting. I want to ask you about that in a second. Please do. Yeah, yeah. I would love to, to dive into that 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 rabbit hole too. Um, so, a child, my my family physician that first diagnosed me with anxiety disorder. We had conversations leading up to training camp, which is held October first, coming up here for the NBA, um, and she wanted me to reach out to the team and try and open up a dialogue to create the same type of program for lack of a better word agreement understanding that I had had with Iowa State and that that agreement with Iowa State in regards to my anxiety which she also helped build was just to have a real direct line of communication with my coach and the team doctor and mm-hmm. the team trainer about where I was on a daily basis because sometimes with with anxiety for example I have anxiety free-floating anxiety I don't sleep all night so when I come in the morning to practice I might need sugar pills Mm-hmm. I might need to pick me up. I might, or I might need to, uh, my, my, my post-practice massage may need to focus on something different. You know, integral health, right? Mm-hmm. Right, whole, you know, comprehensive health model. Mm-hmm. This was way before they were talking about it in sports at all. Yep. We were doing it. We had practiced it. And it, it paid dividends because I played well and we had success. So she told me to try and do the same thing with the Houston Rockets. Well, there's all this red tape, all this administrative yep. red tape, much no, like well. we see in... Every sphere of life, in America, government included. In yeah, American absolutely. government, right? Uh, of, but of, this exists in every sphere of life. It right? does. The deep state is not just in the government. That's exactly The swamp right. doesn't just exist and, in the government. And we'll talk politics, yeah. yeah. But I'm just trying to give people the... The, the swamp in the NBA, yeah. I, I saw it, yeah. you know. These are the same people. Yep. They're not different people. They're yep. the exact same Absolutely people. right. Um, so anyway, so we're, we're, you know, I go to them and I say, hey, I read through my collective bargaining agreement. There's not a single mention of mental health in the entire agreement. Mm-hmm. Not a single mention. They have a full banned substance list that, by yep. the way, includes anti-anxiety medication, which I was prescribed for, benzodiazepines, Xanax, for yep, flying, yep. right? Um, for flying, specifically, is when you use specifically, it. Or anytime you have anxiety. Yeah, but you but use I it used for it for flying. Yes. Yeah. Which I tried not to use it for flying because I knew the dangers of it. Yeah. So my question to them was like, okay, somebody informed this banned substance list. Mm-hmm. It's probably doctors or you know, drug specialists or whoever. How did you come up with a whole banned substance list, but there's no mention of the the domain of health that this list is informed by? Yes. Like how is there the drug 
list at the end of the tunnel right. and penalty for being on those drugs, but there's no upstream attention to the, the thing condition. that leads people right. to do drugs. I heard crickets, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then shortly after, you know, we got into a huge public standoff about the, about the need for mental health policy mm -hmm. in the NBA. And basically what they brought me behind, a, uh, you know, behind closed doors and said is, you're right about mental health. We're way behind on this issue. They being the Rockets or the NBA? The whole NBA. Okay. Yeah. Including the Rockets. Yeah. We're behind on this issue. We don't know what we're doing. Um, but here's the thing. If you don't agree to play, who's in about 15 minutes, who's going to listen to you? Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to care. If you play and do what we say, we'll help you do everything you want. You know, they treated me like I was doing it as a... a, a a gimmick mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I wanted to become an advocate for mental health as you a, can do your gimmick and we'll give you the platform we'll you give you everything yeah. you need actually they said you know you're handsome you're charming you're articulate you could you could do well with this mm -hmm. you know they had that gleam in their face mm -hmm, like they mm -hmm. they saw the path for me like, we could use you yeah this could be great mm -hmm. and and I said told them I'm, I'm not doing it for that reason I have anxiety mm -hmm. me I'm dealing with this because I'm dealing with the situation we're talking about. This in a gimmick. As an individual. As yes. an individual. Yeah. Now, do I recognize the moment that this thing I deal with is also something... And there can be good that comes with this center. You recognize it. Great. But you are dealing with this now. I'm dealing with it right now. Mm -hmm. Blackballed me. They blackballed me right... I mean, that after that year, they promised that they... They promised if I returned to play and stop the standoff about mental health policy, which all their doctors, this is another interesting one. We know what, I'm trying to paint a picture why I came to where I am in yeah. this liberal edifice, mm -hmm. this edifice of liberalism in American politics. Um, this is another interesting one. All of their experts, mm -hmm. medical experts, agreed that not only was a policy possible, but it was necessary and that it would be easy to create one and it would it would be very limited liability for them because mm. everybody's worried about liability. Of course, right? yeah. We're in the most overly litigious uh, society in human history. No doubt about it. Uh, everybody's worried about getting sued. So, you know, the doctors are saying, hey, we, we can create a policy that simply states mental health is equal to physical health, mm -hmm. right? That the two have to be managed next to each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, they told the experts, go take a hike. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, unabashedly. Oh, you're an expert when we tell you you're an expert. Yeah, exactly. Selective, yeah. selective use. Yes, yeah. yes. And so, you know, I basically dug my heels in and went, you know, if, if you guys are going to play this game, then I was right. So I, this is what, 2013? This is 2013. 2013. So the standoff was they want you to play. You say, I'm not going to unless I get to do the things that you need to do to take care of yourself? Not, no, not really. Uh, not, it wasn't even really specific at the end. Okay. It was, can we have some mention of mental health policy put in the, some mention of mental health put in the collective bargaining agreement? Okay. Because that, the was, that was what you said. Yes, because the danger so is. So the basic disagreement was, mm -hmm. they say, hey, you can play, you can use your story as a platform, educate people, et cetera. And you're like, no, I'm dealing with something. Here's the policies that govern the collective bargaining agreement. Right. I need a mention of mental health in there in order to play. It was to a play. policy argument. It was a policy They argument. wanted to make it a, a, a propaganda or commercial And we're now talking movement. fall of? Fall of 2013. 13, which would have been your first year yes. to play. Yes. And then what happened? Never got to play. Okay. So they, they, they just said, we're not going to do it. Not doing it. Despite the fact that they had plenty of basis to do it. Basis. Their advisors, oh, oh, it gets better. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm out of the league. Can't get a tryout. They won't even. Uh, remember now. 
I'm a top five talent, no physical injuries, yep. no legal uh, problems, never been to jail, never been convicted of a crime, yep. no rape charges, allegations. It's an undervalued asset right here. Okay, yeah. right, yeah. And so now I can't even get a tryout. Hmm. After, you, after you drop from the Houston Rockets. Now, the behind-the-scenes the, the behind part is David Stern and those guys basically sent their emissaries to come into a, talk to me in a room and say, look at all the money you're going to pass up on. Mm -hmm. And I gave them the finger. I took it off. Mm -hmm. It's not about the money. Right? What was the size of your contract, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, it, it was a rookie-scale contract. So yeah. if it was like 1.1, 1.2 okay. million. Yeah. Okay. But, but they're, they're walking you through, hey, here's the, you know. 15 years, 200, 300 million. Yeah. Easy. This was before the TV deal inflated the, the, the contracts, That's right? right? Um, so it could be seven hundred million. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be five years for three hundred million, like mm -hmm. guys are getting right now. Um, so, but I told them I didn't care about the money. Mm -hmm. So that was what the pretense was for. So they didn't have the lever they wanted to me use. Me being yep. in free agency and them basically saying we're not, we're not, you're not even gonna get a shot because we told you, mm -hmm. we told you that if you played ball the right way, then we could, we would help you. But now we're gonna we're gonna cut your water off. Mm -hmm. We're going to cut your microphone off. And so, yeah, in 2016 now, Kevin Love starts to have panic attacks. Oh, wow. On the, of all places. <laughs> was he on the Timberwolves still? He was on the – no, he was now in Cleveland. Oh, he's not in Cleveland. Okay, okay, got it. But he, was, he had played him in a Yeah, song. no, I know, I know. Okay. Uh, Cleveland days He now. started oh. to have panic attacks, and he spoke about – He talked about it. I remember he, that. He actually, started, well, DeMar, DeMar DeRozan first talked about dealing with depression. Now, these are guys I come up with. DeMar DeRozan's one year older than me. We came up through the Nike circuit together. You know these guys. I know. Yeah. yeah. Kevin, I don't really know personally, mm -hmm. but we're, we're the same circles. You guys still haven't met yet, you and Kevin Love. Um, Kevin and I have never met. We it's spoke, kind of interesting. We, we spoke we, a bunch of times. Yeah. But we haven't met. Um, you but, spoke about similar issues. Yes. Yeah. And it opened Pandora's box to where many players started oh, to speak Oh, now down. it's just, it's a, it's, it's, right. it's a much right. different environment right. today. You helped create that. Yes. But. And they even put a policy in place, and the policy they put in place was the one I wrote with one catch to it. I'm oh, going to explain right? it to you. Okay. Let me show you how people pull a the double cross and triple cross with policy mm -hmm. and propaganda. I said every team should have a mental health professional mm -hmm. on staff. It's obvious. Mm -hmm. Now. Well, you had a lot of physical health professionals on staff of course. every team, right? So you're saying one. Of course. But also players should be able to seek out their own independent mental health professionals, right? Because there is an obvious conflict of interest yeah. that you could point to if, it, the, if the professional is hired by the team. So a player should have the ability to dispute that mm -hmm. opinion and go get their own independent opinion or a couple of independent opinions to come to one consensus. Democracy, mm -hmm. right? the protectors and progenitors of democracy of the, yeah. the great NBA woke alliance, but yeah. they don't like, <laughs> they don't like d democracy from the end of the worker. Yeah, yeah. Not in the home turf. Yeah. Somebody else's right. Not in my backyard. <laughs> so now they create the policy that basically mandates every team have a mental health professional, but, and Adam Silver went on Bill Simmons podcast back in 2017 when this whole crisis was popping off and said, we want players to use our mental health services, but I can't guarantee that if you use our mental health services, it won't come to be, it won't, it won't be held against you come free agency. Mm -hmm. This is how people who are in positions of leadership miss the very important role of leadership mm -hmm. and governance. The NBA office and Adam Silver as the commissioner is a governing body. Mm -hmm. What Adam Silver should have used his pulpit to say is, we believe mental health is a very integral piece to the overall health of yep. our players. And, and we are making it a priority by ensuring that they have access to mental health professionals as players in their workplace.
But if they don't want to use it, that's fine. Mm -hmm. However, if I, as the commissioner, find out that any of these teams in our NBA community are going to weaponize mental health against their players in free agency, I'm going to come down with the full power of my position. What, what is the policy on this? Just to, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm always a fan of getting the best mm -hmm. arguments on the table yeah. and then yeah. addressing them. I don't know what the policy is on physical injury, but I suspect what he might say. So, so, so it had been mm -hmm. stern before, but then now it's, we're talking about Adam right. Silver having taken right. over as commissioner of the NBA. Right. Just for people who aren't following the NBA to know. So these are the guys. David Stern was the commissioner David when Stern I was, was there. The now Adam Silver But is. now Adam Silver has taken over, so he's the NBA commissioner. And he might say, let's say he were here, that, well, if you're suffering a knee injury or, uh, you know, Achilles heel tear or whatever, that that would be held against you in free agency. Yes. And so if you're saying that mental health is like physical health, yes. then why shouldn't that be allowed to be held against and, you as, as well? Oh, and no, my point wasn't that it that it shouldn't be held against. Oh, okay. You. Yeah. Like if you have panic attacks and you can't play because you have panic attacks, that's like having a knee that doesn't allow you yeah. to play. I agree that's the same thing. The point was none of these none of these NBA GMs or or um, owners yep. or scouts had any general basis of information about mental health to be able to determine right. whether a mental health issue is incapacitating. Is the equivalent of your ACL. Or yes, whatever, right? right, yeah. And so, yeah. so I think, because I think that's a consistent position to say that, you know, you're going to be valuable to a team based on whether or not you're able to play and perform. Yeah. But the irony is that for all of the emphasis put on protecting the physical health of a player as an asset for that team, yeah. there's a deep underinvestment of both resources and just basic knowledge to be able to do the same thing for somebody Absolutely. that can stop them from playing. It's almost the self-interest of the team, right? No, here's the irony. Here's the most ironic part. The most ironic part is the individuals like you or I who mm -hmm. are outspoken mm -hmm. naturally, right? Um, we would be more likely in the pool of players to step forward and be honest about what we're dealing yeah. with to give them the data to be able to form their opinion and attitude and protocols around mental health. Right. Now, do, do but, most but, of these but, teams have sports psychologists? Yeah, that, that was, yeah. Are they like a joke? <laughs> Not a joke, but no. I mean, yeah, it's a joke. Okay. I mean, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, because no. actually, now that it occurs to me, my first thing would be, let's say I'm an NBA owner. To me, if the league is going this way, this is an opportunity as part of building yes. a high-performance oh, culture that protects its players to really wait, double wait, down wait, here, right? We're going to get down to it. I'm, I'm going to show you how, how duplicitous this establishment is. Okay. And for everybody who's listening up to this point, this is not a boo-hoo story for Royce White about mm -hmm. the NBA. These are your leaders. Mm -hmm. These are the people who make policy decisions for your country. Mm -hmm. These are the people who, vow, who, who have it's undermined the, the value of class. your citizenship. Yep. Almost hand-to-hand. -hand. These are the... When they go to give... Uh, $250 million for Raphael Warnock in a runoff. Mm -hmm. Who do you think the money came from? Mm -hmm. Corporations who have partnerships with you. Have you read Woke Inc? It's my first yeah. book. You read it? Yeah. Oh, you did? Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, there's that, there, it just reminds me of that story. It's this chapter is in there called The Managerial Class. The Managerial the Class. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's a horizontal phenomenon yes. from government to NBA to politics yes. to nonprofit sectors. It's interesting. It's the same yes. Adam Silver progeny types that populate who are who are who are coalesced totally. in, in the legal sphere mainly oh absolutely yeah, yeah. That, that there's there's the professional realms that yeah. pull them together yes even though they're technically yeah. operating no, but in the, the nba is the, the nba is unique because the nba office is ran by lawyers 
Yeah, These people are all lawyers. Yeah. Adam yeah. Silver's a lawyer. Oh, is that right? David Stern okay. was a lawyer. It doesn't surprise me. But no, they're all lawyers. About right. Mark Tatum, he's a lawyer. Yeah. So, but, so let me tell you how this, this, this went down. So, again, I wasn't saying, uh, you know, Royce needs special treatment. I mean, I, it's fine if people want to make the, the, the claim. Mental health, physical health, if you can't mentally get out of bed to come to the gym, you can't. Here's the irony. You and I would be more likely out of the pool of players to step up and go, hey, this is what I'm really dealing with. Proactively, I'd like to create a, a dialogue or an open conversation so you know what you're dealing yep. with. I know we can create a clear line of expectation. They liked that the line wasn't clear. Mm. Right. And so what they actually did was they weaponized the lack of knowledge around a topic like mental yep. health to be able to weaponize it arbitrarily whenever they so choose. So they didn't want to draw a hard line. Mm -hmm. The blur helped them mm -hmm. in their desire for corruption when necessary, because most of the players are dealing with mental health issues, but they would never say it. Mm -hmm. So it's the quiet part. So out loud. now you're actually going to end up penalizing the one guy who told you about the problem in free agency to shoot the messenger and problem. you're going to miss all the people who are dealing with the same issues. Now they're going to resort to other things mm -hmm. like gambling, drugs. drugs and alcohol, sexual, you know, risky sexual behavior, thrill seeking, ride the motorcycle, get injured in the off season. Happens. Don't yeah. tell the team about it. Hide it. Guy comes back. All of a sudden he's running weird and his injury won't heal yeah. what, what had happened. He's never going to tell you he was in a motorcycle injury. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is the problem. This is the, 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 um, the moral hazard mm -hmm. of that type of, of fast and loose governance. Yep. 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 It's very, very interesting. So, so then you ended up, that was your out from the NBA. Yeah. Done. Yeah. I mean, I've been fighting them for. T I mean, I was. I'm 32 now. I was 22 then. Yeah. What was your What was your experience in your time leaving the NBA, watching the Daryl Morey incident that you know we're talking about yeah. now? His what was his tweet? Fight for freedom. Yeah. Stand for Hong stand Kong. Stand with Hong Kong. Stand with Hong Kong, and then seeing what played out in the aftermath of that. I want to say this was maybe four yeah. four years ago or so. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there was there was so much to it. There's so much to pull apart. But but in short, I was because I want to get to more political stuff yeah. with you. I would. But this dare. this this relates this is, to something. No, this that. is I mean, the this perfect is segue. U.S. Yeah. relationship with China. Uh, and and this is a great example. I mean, yeah. probably one of the best examples of how somebody can say a thing that would be in alignment with some people on some side, mm -hmm. and their real position is not is not in alignment with some people on some side. It's 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 a very, it's the wild wild west of of ideological warfare. In, right. in our society. I mean, just to set the stage, I mean, we got yeah. protests in Hong Kong, yes. pro-democracy protests. China has an agreement yes. that says that they're not going to have their tentacles invade Hong Kong system. Yes. Those are those pro-democracy protests. I think this is around 2019 or so. Yep. And Daryl Morey tweets, fight for freedom, stand with Hong yep. Kong. And then he goes through his own version of, it's almost, maybe it's a version of karma, but he goes through a whole version of being cast as a pariah by LeBron James, right. somehow weighing into this, you know, who, who else was in this? The owner, Nike, the NBA, everybody, Adam Silver. Everybody. Yeah. But he James Harden. But he apologized first. Did he? He walked his comments oh, back first. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's, okay, I, did, I missed that part. No, yeah, right away. They, they came, they brought the hammer on him first. Okay. He didn't realize, see, here's the thing about Daryl He just Moore. walked into a mess. Look, when you put Twitter in everybody's hands, yeah. not everybody is their own PR manager. That's right. That's right. right. You know, in the middle of the midnight whims, you think you're on the right side of a thing, which he theoretically would be. He was speaking his mind. Is no, what he well, was think doing. let's let's talk about it from a ge geopolitical standpoint. Yeah. Theoretically, he was on the right side of the people that he's over there getting political money with. Mm. The NBA yep. is a woke, yeah. pro-democracy, non-authoritarian. That's what they say. Yeah. 
Freedom Anywhere is Freedom Everywhere. Yep, one of these people. Corporations. Yep. So to him, he's thinking. I'm, I'm standing at the party line here. Start with actually, Hong Kong. It may not even be his conviction. That's actually a good point. He thinks he is doing the thing that's part of the. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just speaking what the NBA would expect. And he you gets to say. a call early in the morning, like, buddy, not that though. Not that one. <laughs> when we want it. Yeah. Just like back to so then so then he walks it back. See, okay, that's interesting. Just but but see, I experienced that because it's just like back to the doctors where it's totally. expert medical advice only when we want it. That's right. It's freedom fighting political ideology only when we want it. Right. And right then is not the time. China's off limits because we're expanding into the Chinese market and the CCP's about and to tell oh, us. And oh, by the way, Daryl, you should know that because the inception of the NBA China movement was Yao. predicated on Yao Ming. Yeah, Yao Ming. You yeah. should know China's off limits. <laughs> so he walks the comments back. Uh, and and then yeah the, the the piranhas descended right yeah and so and so what was your takeaway from watching all that happen? Oh, these people can sell out. Yeah, all what are you them. doing at this point in life? Uh, I was uh, in Canada. I okay. had just come back from Canada. Okay, uh, I was played two years in, in London. Oh, so you Ontario. played in Canada? Okay. Yeah, I played two years in London, Ontario. Was there when Bill sixteen, 16 thing went down with Jordan Peterson? Okay. In in the in Ontario province province, uh, and uh, I was on my way back from Canada to come play in the Big Three. Oh, you were. Yes, in 2019, 18, yeah. Oh, you on your way to playing the big three, meaning the, the Ice Cube's big three. Oh, you were. Yeah. Oh, that was that was. I in played it Okay, but that was you on your way, and that's yes. when the Daryl Morey thing broke. That's okay. when it broke. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so you know, it was. Uh, I had already started to see this this avalanche of, mm-hmm. of fake woke politics. I lived with it. I came. Did up. you speak out on it at the time, or were you oh, kind of course. just okay? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I said, look, you know. First of all, let's talk about the Hong Kong thing yeah. for a moment. Hong Kong, <laughs> China is a convoluted problem that, that has many, many layers. But, yep. but effectively, Hong Kong is the, is the left, the, the, the pro-freedom democracy Hong Kong movement is, is the leftist BLM movement here in many senses, right? And China, who I am vehemently opposed to, the CCP and their influence in our country, um, their problem with Hong Kong is that it was a bastion to Western power in China. The same way they had earlier gotten Shanghai, they had dealt with their Shanghai problem in many ways. Because Shanghai used to be the epicenter of American tie and American ambassadorship and power to China, the CCP. So Xi Jinping cut that off right and then hong kong becomes his hot spot and he brings the hammer down on them now post covid they double back to make sure that the shanghai western ties are doesn't retake off again yep. which is why they had extensive lockdowns yeah the lockdowns have nothing to do with covid in shanghai it of was course. a complete geopolitical move so you know watching it from that angle and that was also specifically in the moment where he was about to take over his unprecedented third term that's right as chairman of the ccp that's right Right. Yeah. So what, when you watch it from that angle, you can tell that the average American citizen who's watching Twitter mm-hmm. and NBA Twitter and the reactions that many times cross over into politics, they have no clue what to make of Hong Kong, let yeah. alone Daryl Morey that's making right. that that's comment. Right. That's right. right? So yeah. th- that's the political spectrum we're dealing with today is many of these things have such deep roots yeah. that when these surface sparks pop up, people are pinballs they don't even really totally know how to it's like yeah exactly i mean i think and i think the funny thing is you see the same thing in politics too you'll experience this most politicians are like use pinball analogy billiard balls right they're just going to be rolling in whatever direction they're hit without actually asking who's doing the aiming right Right? and so don't be one of those billiard balls and you're not one of those billiard Uh, balls but that's what i tell young people across this country the same thing so that was in 2019 2020 is when the george George floyd Floyd, post george floyd blm Mm -hmm. 
issues come up. You're familiar with my version of this in the corporate world mm -hmm. from having read the book. Tell me about what your reaction was at that time and what, what your journey was through that. Yeah, well, I had already come through the NBA 10 years of fighting the, the, the landslide of liberalism mm -hmm. that, that had that corrupted the NBA. But and that, would you call yourself at this point in time a conservative or not necessarily? I was, I was born and raised a Catholic. You were, okay. I was always a conservative. So, so that, was, that was consistently. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, I, I was all, let's say this, I always believed in God. Yeah. You weren't always a, like practicing hard Catholic mm, at every point in time, no. but you came back to it. No, but I was baptized, born and raised a Catholic church. All the wakes and funerals were at the Catholic church. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you practicing now? Or? Yes. Okay, you yeah, came I'm, back to it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I didn't really leave, but I'll just say in my own personal life, you know, there's a metric, a measure of what a practicing Catholic is supposed to be doing on a, on a daily, weekly basis. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's people who are still going to church, and then there are people who don't believe in God at all, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. There's, there's a huge yeah. spectrum there. But, but anyway, I, I'll say that, you know, I'd already seen this landslide of woke politics and liberalism through my fight with the NBA, and I had a... a, a a huge problem with it. Uh, I had a huge chip on my shoulder against the entire mainstream liberal establishment yep. because I saw mental health, which I don't like to even say mental health. Mental health is another way to say the human condition mm -hmm. where mind, body, and spirit converge into our perceivable existence. Mm -hmm. This is what mental health is. And when you say we don't care enough to make policy about the human condition, what you're really saying is we don't really care about humanity, which is in alignment with their technocratic mm -hmm. sort of post Human, human society movement, which is really what we're dealing with at the highest levels of globalism, right? Is we have to find a way to, to live forever. So I've spent 10 years dealing with that. The George Floyd thing happens. I grew up in the Twin Cities. I grew up in Minneapolis. I grew up in St. Paul. I'm very familiar with many of the mishaps and misconduct of the police department. I'm very familiar with the crime in the, in the, in the neighborhoods and, and some of the criminals. I know the dynamic. You of all people. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I know the there. dynamic, yep. right? Um, and, and I thought watching the video, because the Black Lives Matter movement had five years. This was a buildup. Mm -hmm. George Floyd was the buildup after Trayvon Martin. Mm -hmm. George Floyd was the, 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 the climax mm -hmm. of what began with Trayvon Martin. Um, and I had watched Black Lives Matter do their political uh, you know, moves. Mm -hmm. And I had watched the NBA players jump on board at different times, yep. but then sell out when it mattered most, where the hard line should have been. So I'm already hawking this movement. Okay. George Floyd is killed, and I feel the same sense of, of, of uh, sadness and outrage that every American citizen should have felt watching the video. The government is too big, and the police state is dangerous, mm -hmm. and they've been dangerous for a long time. It's only now you get to see it on Facebook Live. And it doesn't matter what that man did, Within context, right, if you rob a bank woman at gunpoint and you're fleeing with the gun and you got it pointed at an officer. That's a different point. Lethal yep. force, forces, when yep. you're handcuffed with your chest on the pavement and you have no chance to run, let alone be a harm or danger, am I an American citizen, right? Am I a Roman citizen, as they would say mm -hmm. in the Bible? Do you have the right to beat and bind a Roman citizen without a fair trial? And I know George Floyd was on fentanyl, and I know he had a previous criminal history, and so too may be the same circumstance for all of us, including yourself. Mm -hmm. If you continue to tell the truth the way you mm -hmm. do, the truth will be deemed illegal. Oh yeah. And when the truth they becomes come for deemed you illegal, often. <laughs> you will want a person like me out there in the streets that looks at a situation where the police state reaches too far and goes, it's not right, I don't care what you say he did. We've lost that in America. But anyway, I'm watching this, and I say, I gotta do something. I got to, I got to, this, uh, for a moment in time, uh, 
my hometown, my home is going to be the center of um, global politics. Mm -hmm. And it was. Minneapolis during 2020 oh, yeah. was the, the center of, of, of global politics all, no all around the world. So I went to go lead protests. Um, the city was on fire. People, there was anarchy. Antifa was definitely doing their thing. There were other groups out there doing their thing as well at night and, and causing chaos. And, and me and my other fellow athletes, some other young black men, uh, didn't agree with the, the narrative around this the situation. So I led a bunch of protests, nonviolent. We, we did about 11 protests, I'd say, over that summer, maybe 150 to 160,000 people. We didn't have one fight, one fire, or one arrest. In, in an 11, 12 protest. A, a more um, throwback to uh, your, your standard traditional liberal protest, mm -hmm. right? The anti-war movement, which mm -hmm. is a huge criticism I have of the conservative movement right now. Oh, Even I share one voice. Yep. We're on our way to nuclear war and you guys aren't in the streets? Sleepwalking our way into it what are right we, now. What are we doing? So I, I, and this was the precursor. Yep. George Floyd was the precursor to nuclear war. Mm -hmm. people Interesting. Yeah. Interesting framing. So I'm watching this and I go, I'm not going to let them control the narrative. I'm taking my protests to the Federal Reserve. Because mm, to me. Interesting. Yeah. To me, the Fed and this sort of economic Ponzi scheme that's been run yep. on both black people and white people a few neighborhoods away, but yep. can join by economic policy, is the real, the whole, just, uh, the whole system is guilty that you guys are chanting mm -hmm. at the rallies. Mm -hmm. You just don't understand that the Fed should be a target because your Marxist liberal professors down the street the other way at yep. the university have intentionally taught you not to look at the economic... It's by design. By design. Mm -hmm. You look at the police departments. Mm -hmm. I look at who pays them. Mm -hmm. And I look at why they pay them. I look at that as the incentive away from why police officers are not upholding their oath to the Constitution and the flag. Mm. Interesting. So, so what... I mean, that's quite a... I, I'm deeply sympathetic to this. I think the Fed has been responsible for mm -hmm. the lack of... Mm -hmm. Inflation adjusted wage growth in this country over the last 25 Absolutely. years, but that's quite a pivot for you to make to say, okay, I'm protesting here. We're doing peacefully really different than the way some of these other people are going about it. What, what was the aha moment for you to say, okay, now I'm going to actually focus on the Fed? Oh, it wasn't an aha moment. It was just, it was just obvious. To it was me. obvious to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, cause my, my thing was, okay, we have a corporatocracy. We mm -hmm. have a bunch of young affluent, educated white liberals that are infatuated with this conversation about justice and freedom. Mm -hmm. But somewhere in their education, there was a, there was a glass ceiling, ceiling or a threshold placed on them venturing over the line of what many would call as conspiracy theory or accepted narrative yep. about the institutions that preside over us. And the obvious one is the Fed. Okay. Central banking. So, you, so, so then what'd you do with that insight? Um, I said, if we're going to talk about justice, if we're going to talk about the system, if you guys want to talk about the system, if you want to talk about policing, if you want mm -hmm. to talk about the military industrial complex, because to me, policing is the lowest rung of the military industrial complex. Not to say that police officers are doing the bidding of the military, knowingly, but the police are the lowest rung of the military industrial complex. So you're saying, let's ratchet this up one rung and go to the... Three rungs. Three rungs. Police. So go to the Fed. Military industrial military. complex. Fed. Fed, right? Or cor let's go police, corporatocracy that makes money every time a police mm -hmm. kills a guy. They're out there with the cameras just mm -hmm. shaping the narrative. Mm -hmm. Above them is the military industrial complex that really sets the stage for much of what our modern society is. That's the real third is. rail. That's yeah. the real third rail. Yeah. 
and that on top is the Fed. The Fed, yeah. Right. They're they're the ones pointing the pointing the fingers, telling, giving the directions. Diversity, uh, uh, CEI, corporate mm-hmm. uh, absolutely equity index, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so you know, and I did this. So you pro? Did you lead some protests at the Fed? Fifteen thousand people. Oh, really? Yeah. To the Fed in DC, in Minneapolis. When was okay at the Minneapolis at, at the the Minneapolis Fed. U.S. Fed? Yep, at yes. the U.S. Fed division in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they, you know, I was standing up there talking about the Fed and and a lot of the. This is in twenty twenty. Yes. Okay. Oh, this was six days after George Floyd was killed. Fascinating. See, I missed that. I missed this part of it. Not okay. and not by accident. Because hmm. <laughs> the same corporate liberal media did not just that pay protects the that. Fed. They somehow missed that fifteen thousand people showed up at the Federal Reserve. Mm. I, I missed it. I got to tell you that too. That's interesting. So, so you led that. This is summer twenty twenty. We're yeah, talking. This was June. This was June sixth. What would you, how would you describe the composition of people who showed up there? Oh, mostly uh, you know twenty um, year old white liberals. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, this they're, is a common cause with, I think, what many yeah. libertarians in this country and I think what many conservatives in this country feel now, too. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's and interesting it was, how some of this doesn't track partisan boundaries. Th- there, was, there were black people out there. Oh, let me, let me be clear. They didn't know why we were at the Fed or why we were going. Mm. They, weren't, they weren't in the spirit of protesting at the Fed. Oh, the 15,000 people. No. Oh, I see, I see, I, I see. unwillingly brought them... <laughs> To the Fed. You're saying, this is where we're going, In the guys. height of George Floyd. Yeah. Oh, I see. To show them the connection. And did you, did you speak and explain it? Absolutely. And what, did. what was the response? They looked at me like I had three eyes. Oh, really? Oh, yes. okay, 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 okay. I was, yes. I was waiting for the happy ending where they're, yes. they're all... <laughs> but, but the bright spot was... The Persuaded. was there were individual people out there. Who's... Who, yep, you clicked. You could see it click. Yep. You could see it click. And I, I mean, I held up a sign on July 4th. This was a month later. We went back to the Fed again. Our, our Could have had Ron Paul there. He would have loved it. <laughs> I love Ron yeah, Paul. Yeah. We love Rand too. He's yeah. one of the few patriots left in the Senate, which is yep. why I'm running for Senate to come back him up. But mm-hmm. we we kept the same route of mm-hmm. our protests. I got you. For the whole summer. And it always went by the Fed. So mm-hmm. we stopped at the Fed 12 times. Mm-hmm. And on July 4th, the night we did a silent protest on July 4th. This is in the heart of the pandemic. We're supposed to be Interesting. locked down. We're supposed to be social distancing. And I said... Governor Waltz is, uh, sir, your authority is null and void at the, at the mm-hmm. moment, right? Uh, we, we, we have some, some we're citizens. Mm-hmm. You don't own us. Damn sure don't own me. Yep. You want to come arrest me? Fine. Mm-hmm. But we're going to the Fed. Okay. So on July 4th, we're at the Fed, and we have this huge 30 by 30 canvas, and the word sovereignty is painted on it. Oh, interesting. In red ink, Right. And then I get a call from Bloomberg, and they say, you mind telling us why you're leading protests to the Federal Reserve? This is like six protests in. Yeah, <laughs> to the party. Bloomberg Financial was the only one that ever even covered it. Interesting. Yeah. And so I, I'll tell you, just to, to wrap up George Floyd is, um, eventually the BLM and Antifa uh, you know, community leaders who are there to, to sort of um, stifle and shape and direct the anti-establishment spirit of common folk in the metropolitan areas eventually they got wise to it and they 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 hit me with the litmus question Mm. and the litmus question is all across the country the lgbtq Mm. so i want to talk about the fed and economic tyranny they're like no 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 no. you gotta no the thing is how do you feel about transgenders yep yep and i say exactly what i feel about the lgbtq they're citizens they have rights but they, under no circumstances, should be the, the, uh, the center of our political focus, mm-hmm. especially juxtaposed to the Federal Reserve. Yep. So I don't really have time to talk about who it's you want to have yeah. sex with. The Fed is, is, is 
running an unconstitutional tax on the, the American working class. Mm -hmm. We need to abolish this place. Then we can figure out who you're having sex with if you really want to have that discussion at that point. Well, you realize these things are deeply related to one another. Right? One course. is smoke, smoke to deflect accountability of course. from the other. Yeah, Of course. And that's what I was trying to tell people. So, But anyway, the, the nonprofit leaders and the BLM activists, you know, they kind of, you know, discarded. They were not going to let Royce lead any more protests or don't participate with mm. him anymore. Um, and so I kind of backed off because I knew that the damage had been done. I had, I had poked the hole in the, in the wall that needed to be poked. Um, and then the 2020 election in January 6th. Yes. And when January 6th happened, I looked and I, and I tweeted, I said, you all, are, you all are just mad that you didn't do it. Mm. And I'm not saying every aspect of it. Like, <laughs> this is how the pendulum swings. And you and I both know how sophisticated the security state is in the intelligence community in the deep state. They're sophisticated. And the one thing they are masters of is social engineering. Not every, not every aspect is direct. Some they let grow and then flourish at an opportune time if they do and they'll come and across they use the it. field and they'll go oh let's pick that flower and use it great yep. this is what we want other times they are direct yep but in in general you know when you look at just the overall attitude towards protest i thought it was abhorrent what the the, the congress and the senate had to say in light of, in, in the wake of january 6th mm -hmm. because what they effectively said to american citizens everywhere is under no circumstances should your can frustration you, with us under no circumstances should your frustration with us and our corruption, our crony capitalism, ever come to our front door. Yeah. Under no, and they even said it explicitly. Who was the black guy who, uh, who helped lead the January 6th ex post facto? I know who you're talking uh, about. His name was, uh, was it something, Bernie? It was, uh, I forget, uh, Thompson? That sounds about right. I think it's something Thompson. And we'll have to check, but they know yeah. what I'm talking about. He was the black guy who was leading the January 6th committee. And uh, he goes, protest should never endanger, never endanger congressmen, United States congressmen. Back to the not in my backyard all over again. <laughs> it doesn't matter There's what we do. There's a version of this that traces back to the very beginning of the story, mm -hmm. back in your days at the University of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Interesting, right? Yeah. yeah, we like that concept. Yeah. Not in my backyard. Never under any, under yeah. any circumstances should our should our betrayal of the mm -hmm. American people bring penalty upon us. Yeah. And, and so, you know, after the January 6th thing, I was on my way to the, the big three season. I met Steve, Steve Bannon, um, and uh, the rest is history. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I'm tip, I'm tip of the, I'm tip of the MAGA spear. Yeah. I'm the hatchet man. They call me the hatchet man in the, For in a the reason. war room posse. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Because I come from the belly of the beast. So, you know, I'm really as bipartisan as they come because I actually, oh, you, like, you, like you, you. Forget the partisan yeah. BS. Yeah, we see know. the yeah. party as a scam it is. Yeah. Now, Washington Post and Mother Jones and The Guardian and New York Times will try and paint me as a far right wing Republican. Republican. Yeah, I mean, we're Republican but, Party. But I'm irrelevant in this man. conversation. Yeah. 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 There is no Republican That's Party. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so post Jan 6, you say that. Yep. And then what happens? Uh, again, uh, you know, they can't say anything to me at the time because yeah. I just led 15,000 people to the Fed. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. Well, I'm not, what, what are we saying? Either we're protesting or we can't. That's right. All right? It's one side or another. Yeah. For the conservatives too, either, either, we're, either we're in the last hour of freedom or we're not. Mm -hmm. Let's be clear about it and let's talk, talk about what's next. So then, so then what led you from there to the doorstep of your Senate race now, which I am, yes. which I am 
certainly after this conversation, I'm going to be following Thank you. much more closely. I'm, I'm intrigued. Thank you. Tell me about that journey. Tell me what that looks like. So in, 20, so in 2021, we come back um, to the big three and uh, I go viral for wearing a T-shirt and doing a post-game interview about the Uyghurs, free the Uyghurs. Mm -hmm. I, I put on a T-shirt with the backwards Nike symbol oh, on, nice. on CBS live. And uh, that goes viral. So I wear the backwards swoosh, free the Uyghurs. Um, me and Steve have a, so then now I'm on Steve's radar. You know, Steve, me and Steve talk. Jeff Quadnitz, who is the co-founder of the Big Three with Ice Cube, he's his partner, used to be partners in a business venture with Steve Bannon um, in, their, in their Hollywood entertainment yep. days. And so I connect with Steve, and Steve introduces me to the, the War Room Posse and the MAGA movement, and I get over, and I'm like, you know, it, it's time to go. Exactly. And look, it's time to go. But it's not just this lukewarm conservatism. Oh, no, yeah, forget that. And even in the MAGA movement, MAGA's the tip of the spear. Totally. But there is this sort of... Milk toast. Milk toast, <laughs> laissez-faire, don't swear, use profanity. Right? No, this is smash-mouth populism. Mm -hmm. We are faced with an enemy that has undermined every aspect of, of our Constitution, of what it means to be American, yeah. undervalued, you know, uh, d uh, undermine the value of our citizenship. There is no more pleasantries. Well, you can't win a war if you don't know you're in one. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So that, so now, you know, I, I ran against Ilhan Omar in Congress. I was railroaded by the GOP. They is ran, that right? Yeah, by the Minnesota GOP. Oh, really? Oh, the Minnesota, the Minnesota GOP is, we can't have any of these right-wing extremists. So you didn't, get the, you didn't get the nomination? I didn't get the endorsement. You didn't get the endorsement, but you got the nomination. I didn't. I lost by 700 oh, votes in the did. primary. Oh, 700. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. So that was last cycle. Fine. It was a good, good noble task to take up. You said, now screw it. I'm going for Senate. Statewide. Good. Statewide, and now we're, we're going against It's Cole less Sean. easily controlled, actually. It is. I, so I think that that's actually a smart choice. Yes. It becomes the bigger of a large scale. Same thing at the presidential level. It's at that yes. level, the party apparatus starts to matter a lot less. Right. But the Senate compared to a House race, that's going to be to your advantage. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to be watching that race very closely. I am <clears throat> proud of you for having the courage to tell your story on such a diverse range of issues over your career. And I think that, you know, you don't need my advice on this, but... You know, I share this as a reflection, not as advice. Don't mm -hmm. shy away from the mental health element of this now because we're in the middle of a mental health epidemic in this country that I personally believe is driven by the vacuum of national values, mm. faith, patriotism, hard work, Amen. family. And if you can play a role in helping to fill that void of purpose and meaning, but tie your own personal journey into it. Mm -hmm. I think there could be a really powerful conversation in this country, not just in Minnesota, but in this country that you can help spawn. And I am happy to continue this one if this is helpful in elevating this, not just within Minnesota, yeah. but to a national stage about what's actually driving that mental health epidemic, not just amongst athletes or NBA players, but across this country today. And I think there's something deeper going on at the heart of our national soul. There is a vacuum, there is a void. And I hope you can play an important role in helping us fill that void with your vision, man. Oh, you too, brother. I appreciate the time. Appreciate thank you for coming here. here. Yeah, thank you, brother. Godspeed. I have a feeling we're going to be talking a lot more. Thank you. Thank you, man.